Um, so I heard a quote once. Um, this is kind of the intro to the sermon, so you don't have to like get your notes out yet. We're good. But one of the statistics on, you hear this all the time, of high schoolers leaving the church once they graduate, and there's all these crazy numbers people throw out, like 80% of the people who grew up in the church go to college, and they don't love Jesus anymore once they go to college, or they don't go to church anymore, and you've heard different percentages, and I don't know who's counting or how they get, I'm not a statistician, but um, an interesting thing, the, the one trend they noticed with college students who stay connected to the church, who grew up in the church, was that those kids believed that whoever taught them about Jesus was also very aware and in touch with the real world. So that when you go and you leave the bubble of your hometown or the bubble of your home church and you go to college um, and you encounter all these different worldviews and all these different avenues of truth and they start to seem, if life seems different than the reality that you grew up in, then you start to question the truth that someone told you. So you're like, well, mom and dad said this, but they didn't understand this, so now I doubt mom and dad, right? So I just sense, as Kyle was talking about, this community of people in this city you guys are actually very connected to the real world. You're about being authentic to what's actually going on and that you think Jesus actually has a, a place in your life and it's connected. So I just want to give props to you guys. Hashtag Regen for being awesome in that way. Um, and maybe Kyle too a little bit for leading you uh, in that direction. So funny story came up last night. Kyle and I actually rollerbladed together in Chicago at, at nighttime. So if you want a mental image just to kind of keep in the back of your mind. Uh, in case I get real boring, just think about Kyle rollerblading through Chicago. <laughs> and then, uh, then I will feel affirmed because I think you're laughing at my, my joke. When in reality, you're like picturing Kyle. Like, oh, what, what does that even look like? Um, so I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I live in Central Oregon now. But growing up, my dad uh, raced motocross, raced dirt bikes. And so as a little kid, I would like draw pictures of dirt bikes. And all I wanted was a dirt bike. And so I'm like five and six, and I'm, I'm saying to myself, man, life would be perfect and complete and amazing if Jarrell had a dirt bike, right? Um, as a five-year-old, that probably makes sense. Long story short, we did get a dirt bike, and I still uh, love riding motorcycles uh, to this day, and it shaped my life. But um, if we're honest with ourselves, we all kind of have a, a dream or a longing of something that, like, man, my life would be okay or better or complete if right? Um, and you can tell often the answer to that question based on what stresses you out. Um, so I'm worried about this, meaning I value this, meaning if I get this, then life will be um, cush, or I don't know, whatever you say these days. Holy crap. <laughs> what happened? Okay, this is going in the pocket. I'm sorry, guys. Rough start. <laughs> uh, so you get older and maybe you're a high school or a college student and your values shift. What you're really concerned about is good grades or fitting in or popularity or the right clothes or getting into the right school. Like, man, my life will be complete if I get this A on this test. My life will be good if I get into this college. My life will be good if I get this job. My life will be good if I find this person to marry. My life will be good if I find uh, this house to buy, this car to own, this whatever, however many Instagram followers we're trying to get nowadays. Like, we all have a carrot that we're chasing and it, what it is, is it's our definition of the good life. It's what we're saying, like, man, my life would be good if this is true about me. Um, and uh, what happens then is when we talk about 
um, generosity, here's what typically we hear in the church is that, well, I grew up in a church that was pretty old school and like tithing was the biggest thing. You give 10%. You get your paycheck, you give 10%. Now you're good to go. And so um, there's this guilt-driven, uh, tithing, money-based generosity which says, all right, work really hard, give 10%, and then hopefully with the other 90%, you can go chasing your carrots, right? You can go get that house, you can go get that job, you can go create that network of people that provides security for you. And so hopefully Jesus doesn't ask me to give 11% because I'm really banking on that 90%. Or, or if I get more money, then I can pursue my, my dream faster rather than being more generous. And so we kind of have this tension of, man, gen- generosity sounds a lot like bad news. It sounds like Jesus is slowing down my pursuit of what I think the good life is. And so we cringe, and we suck it up, and we, like, pay our church rent, and we hope that Kyle does something cool with the money. You know, maybe we need green pens or kind of, I don't know, green and red pens Christmas? I don't know. We could get red pens. I don't know. Is that what you guys spend your tithing money on? Probably not. Um, But what uh, the problem well, there's a couple problems with that. The first is that we never actually achieve our dream, right? I mean, how many of you, you have gotten what you longed for, but then by the time you get that, life situation has changed, and now there's something else that you want, a better job, a different job, a cooler leather couch in the house that you just bought. You know what I mean? There's, there's always something more that's, that's like um, scratching at a deeper longing within us for a world that we really want. And as much as we joke about careers and money and connections and uh, cool cars and cool clothes. Beneath all that is this desire for belonging. It's a desire for peace. It's a desire for uh, connection and community and identity, um, security. And like we're, however we're trying to get that, we all can agree that that's what we're longing for. Um, in a world filled with pain, um, even if you're not a Christ follower, even if you don't have a Christian worldview, beneath a lot of what we're moving f- toward is a world um, that we long for, a world without conflict, without cancer, without the sharp, deep pain that like, has trudged a, a rut into our hearts from the past. We, we hope relationships are restored. We want um, people to function in um, a good world. And beneath our striving is is brokenness within us that points to our longing for a world that we really all want. And so when we hear that generosity is somehow hindering our process, our progress, um, it actually sounds a lot like bad news. But here's the good news, is that I think it's good news, and I want to tell you why I think it's good news. How's that sound? Pretty cool? You guys awake? All right. You got coffee. Got the coffee connections. Um, so I, I decided that, okay, we're going to talk about generosity. If we tar- start talking about money, we're going to get it wrong. So we're going to get to money slightly, but only in the context of a bigger picture. And um, I want to read uh, kind of the end of God's story in Revelation. We kind of have this like giant three-part narrative of God's work in the world. It's that he created this good world. People are in union with him. There is peaceful relationships between people between creation and man, between man and himself, between man and God. 
And we declared, God, we'd actually rather you not be king. We'd actually rather decide what's right and wrong and kick you away. So we're going to do it our own way. And now we're in this centerpiece of the story where we're wrestling with the consequences of what it looks like to live life with Jesus as not our king, right? The consequences of our rebellion that if um, it got bad really fast, there was murder, there was um, lots of sexual sin right away in the Garden of Eden, or not, not the Garden of Eden, right after that in Genesis. But we actually have the ending to God's story in the book of Revelation where God makes all things new. All that was broken, um, man rela- man's relationship with himself, our relationships with one another, our relationship to God, the ecosystem and the climate of the world we live in, um, systems and structures, uh, all of that is going to be restored and made new, but right now we're in between. And so I want to put into context uh, generosity between these two pillars, and we get the end of the story in Revelation 21, 1 to 5. Um, you don't need to turn there, but if you're like Bible nerds, like, I know where Revelation is. It's the last book. Um, you can do that. If you're the sword drill nerd, you guys know what a sword drill is? Yeah. It's where the really smart fifth graders boost their ego, and people like me feel like we don't know, love Jesus enough because we don't know where books of the Bible are. So, anyways, <laughs> I don't know. My jokes probably aren't as funny as Kyle's, but so just do some, res- do me some respect and laugh. So, all right. Revelation 21, 1 to 5. Then I saw. This is John talking about a vision he had. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth have disappeared, and the sea was also gone. I don't know what happened to the blue whales, but they'll, they'll still be there. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of the heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And so what it means to say that we believe this is to say that, you know what, our hope, beyond the hope of the carrot or whatever we're chasing or whatever securities we're chasing, is that there will be a day where God will make all things new. And that is our ultimate hope. And in Christ, we have already tasted part of that in his life and through our union with him, through his spirit that's in us. And so while we're in this middle ground between a beautiful creation and uh, a beautiful city, a beautiful redemption, we have tasted God's kingdom and we recognize this life that's poured into us and, and, and the good life as defined by God is that God is with us is that the hostility and the brokenness and the separation we have with God is now restored, that, that the good news of the gospel isn't what God gives us, it's that God gives us himself. And in Christ, through his spirit in us, in this middle ground, we have already tapped into that. We already have the best source of life. And so in our strivings, and in our, in our like um, penny-pinching, budget-tracking generosity that we often do, we're still like, white-knuckling this idea of our old life, that we still have to try to make it, that we're not actually trusting that, that God in Christ has made it, is making it in us, and will continue to bring it into fruition until we taste the new heaven and the new earth and a kingdom where God is king again, um, and all things are made new. 
And so I want to take you to one of my favorite texts and tell you the second piece of good news that I think this is. It's not just God's generosity in saving and redeeming us. It's the fact that God has generously given us this same mission um, to love those around us. And so if you do your Bibles, here's where I want you to go, is 2 Corinthians 5, um, verses 16 to 21. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 to 21. And I don't have any like funny stories to tell you while you turn there, so you're just going to have to do it in awkward silence. And that was the funny story. All right, 2 Corinthians 5. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. The good news is that God has invited us into his mission of generosity. Why is that good news? Let's find out. So we have stopped, verse, verse 16, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we view him now! Exclamation point. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. You and me, and even Kyle. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. A new life has begun, and all of this is a gift. This is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation redemption or making things new, restoring things to the way they ought to be. He gave us this wonderful message. So we, we, having been united to Christ, are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal to the world through you and me. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we might be made right with God through Christ. Uh, Two observations here. The first is that word gift. Um, is that God, like, gift is a generous thing. You give someone a gift, right? Um, uh, That God is redeeming everything, including our hearts, and um, that includes our emotional well-being, our spiritual well-being, our intellectual well-being, our relationships, our relationship to God. Um, It's not just God, like, toss us a bone and be like, all right, you, you can make it with this, bro, He's saying, like, man, I took everything that was broken, and I, and I, like, identified with it, and I carried it, and I saved it, and I made it new. And he's saying, you know what? What the gift that you have received from me, a holistic redemption, holistic good news, you on earth are now ambassadors for that good message, that good gift. And so we, in God's delight, who gave us himself, we now get to carry the good news to those around us, to our cities, to emotions, to intellects, to broken systems, to hurting people. And that is incredibly good news. We are invited to share the mission of Jesus, which is the reconciliation of all things. And so here are the two marks, is that um, two marks of God's generosity. The first is that we are united to him, and the second is that we get to share in his mission. And so our message is that the purpose of our life is not revolving around the preservation of what we once chased. It's entirely scrapping that and from the ground up saying, um, generosity isn't an addition to my life. Generosity is now the definition of my life. It's the backbone of it. it. 
it, it's like the DNA, like a cool little logo. You know, it went away. By the way, I don't have a This Is Us clip. I'm sorry, I'm not part of that uh, cult. <laughs> um, I do watch Stranger Things, so that's Christian. <laughs> I don't know. I guess you can watch Stranger Things and be a Christian. No, you should. It's pretty cool. Uh, now, back to the sermon. Um, here's a couple of things that we get wrong. Um, the first is that uh, we've misplaced our trust. Um, the problem that we still wrestle with, even though that all sounded sweet, Drew, is that we still actually believe that the structures that we're trying to create actually support us. Man, if I did get that house, though, like if I did get that job, or if I did get that raise, or if I did find that perfect person to marry, man, if. But then, God, okay, I know you saved me, but what I really need is is other ground to stand on other than you. And, and what we find through life, what we find as we get older and wiser, is that a lot of that stuff is very, very, very thin ice. Um, not only if you do get it, are you maybe not as satisfied as you thought? Um, what's it called? Buyer's remorse? Um, it's a thing. Don't do it. Or don't feel it. Well, you might, but it's bad. And... Um, and so the lie we believe is that there are things other than the providence of God that will sustain us, and we need to pursue them. And the reason we white-knuckle those things and are unwilling to give them up is because we still are actually trying to stand on them, right? We still want them as our little safety blankets. So secondly, we've forgotten our identities. Not only have we put our trust in the wrong things, we've actually forgotten what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we're actually united to him that our identity is now entirely wrapped up in Christ, that we have new lives. As Paul says, we're made new. And so, um, I'm sorry, this thing is just really bugging me. All right, we're better. Um, We have a new identity. Um, And then lastly, is that we often uh, turn generosity into bad news. So we turn generosity into bad news. So um, when you're little... You love Christmas time. And why is that? Because you get presents, right? I mean, when you're literally like, what are you going to get for Christmas? I don't know. Skateboard or whatever's cool now. There's hoverboards that, like, make all the old people wipe out because we don't have balance. Um, and I guess they blow up with electricity now. They start on fire. Don't take them on airplanes. It'd be bad. Um, but when I was a kid, my mom, I was like, Mom, what do you want for Christmas? She's like, I don't want anything. I just want to give you something. I'm like, what? Like, I don't understand, but at some point in our lives, we go from, like, Christmas is awesome because I get something to, like, oh, my goodness, Christmas is a delight because I get to give something, right? And we, we know that feeling where, like, there's a more uh, profound, deeper sense of joy, a, a more beautiful, um, robust sense of joy that we get when we're actually giving. And so when we talk about money in the church is like, hey, give us your money, and we cringe, Um, a better way to think about that is that Jesus is inviting you to taste the good life that is a generous life, and that life is actually better for you. That that life is actually more of a joy. It it helps you stay away from the snares and like the, the, the clench of money that that we often struggle with as Americans, or whatever it is now, identity, um, that we're kind of wrestling with. And so, if we're honest, like, how's option one working for us? Like, how are we doing with that? 
Jesus is like, you want to chase the carrot? Like, how's it going for you? Like, you getting it? Like, is it a good carrot? You know, like, do you want the carrot? Like, are there other carrots? Like, so, yeah, to live a generous life is a fool and a good thing, and it's part of what it means to be a Christian. And so I want us to look at, look at it like it is good news. Um, so three mistakes we make, we misplace our trust, we forget our identity in Christ, and then we somehow turn giving things away into bad news, or it just feels like bad news. Um, and then the last text I want to take you to before uh, we get pretty practical is 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. And this is like the typical go-to for pastors on preaching about money and stuff. So I didn't want to do it, but here we are. Um, it's just really good. And I think Paul sums up everything we've just talked about. And here is what he says to Timothy as he's pastoring uh, the church in Ephesus. He says this, teach those who are rich in this world, not to be proud, and not to trust in their own money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. That's where our trust is. Tell them to use their money then to do what is good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others always being ready to be generous. By doing this, they will be storing up treasures as a good foundation for the future. And I think that future doesn't just mean like when we get to heaven, but like next week and next year and 10 years from now, like the, the treasures of generosity will, will spiral back to you um, for the future so that they may experience true life, so that they may experience true life. Um, if you're rich and you're hoarding, you're not experiencing true life. If you have money and you're generous and you're actively pursuing that, you're tasting good life and you will, you will store up treasures now. Um, so how are we doing? Good? Staying loose? All right. So generosity is good news and that, in, that includes your money. And I think like if you're getting convicted about money, that's probably God talking to you that like maybe money is one of your carrots. But like it's also kind of cool nowadays to not have a bunch of money. So, like, it might not actually be your thing. Maybe it's um, popularity or, or whatever connections or network or your skill or the pride you take in what you know that others don't. Um, you're up on the latest and greatest. Um, our culture changes, our age changes, so we all have different things that we're chasing. So pay attention to that. So I want to give us three tools to use to kind of um, evaluate what it looks like to always be ready to share with others. Paul says, always be ready to share with others. How do we do that? First, I want us to look at our hearts. Um, look at your hearts. And here's the question is, what or who am I trusting more than God and his kingdom? Is it money? Is it status? Is it your job? Is it the economy? Um, whatever it is, you know, I don't know. What is it your heart latches on to for security beyond God's goodness and his rich providence to you. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to believe in God's generosity to you, that in redeeming you and restoring your heart and giving you himself, it is the, the, the most extreme act of generosity that God gives us. Secondly, that we would hope in the redemption of all things, um, that our hope isn't in this world, but we're actually saying, you know what, it's as much as we're your ambassadors, Jesus, we still need you to come save the day, and we're still incomplete until that happens. 
Um, and then we need to understand that our mission is now the mission of Jesus. That's all of our heart. And so the next two things is your resources and your surroundings. So you check your heart and you check your resources. And this is where it gets fun because we're not robots. We don't all give in the same way. We don't all have the same things. God has given you gifts for the purpose of building up people. And so you look, man, what has God given me? Money, stuff, is it I have a property. How can I use the land I have? How can I use the home I have? I have an extra car. What happens with that? Or I'm really good at like knitting quilts. You don't knit quilts. You sew them. Joke's on you. I don't know, I don't know how, but it's your fault. So you're sitting there, you're sewing quilts. Like, what does it look like to like sew quilts for Jesus, but not in like the weird way, but in like the generous way, you know? Um, and you start to get creative, like, man, what has God given me specifically that's unique to me that I can then uh, channel God's love through? And then the next question is your surroundings. Um, it's like matching the puzzle pieces. It's like, man, I'm really good at mowing lawns. My next door neighbor has a really long yard and no lawnmower. Like, oh, I wonder what God's asking me to do. You know what I mean? Like, it's not rocket science. And then you end up doing things that you love anyways in a generous way, and it kind of redeems those. Um, sound good? Cool. So I thought we would get a little practical here at the end, and I just have four tips, um, four tips for doing this, I guess, from my own brain. So these aren't really based in scripture, but I think they pretty much are. So, um, no, they are. They're just not from the text we just read. Just kidding. Okay. So first, um, is to immerse yourself in the immerse yourselves in the lives of others. Immerse yourself in the life of others. Um, when this becomes a face rather than a task, it grips our hearts. So um, I do youth ministry, work with middle school and high school students, and there's this family that I'm a church that recently adopted um, three special needs kids from China. And if you know anything about China, you know that if you have a disability, you're like very frowned upon culturally, you're actually given very low resources, and like very, very, very bad things happen to you. And so um, to adopt someone with special needs from a culture like that is in a lot of ways saving their life. Um, and so I'm talking to this mom and she's talking about like the, the legal paperwork they have to go through, the money it costs. I mean, imagine going from no kids to three kids who, who are from China who have disabilities in like a day. You know what I mean? Like, wow, what, what does that do to your life? What does it do to your finances? What does it do to your calendar? And I'm like, so I asked her, I was like, hey, what what do you feel like you're getting out of this? Like, what is, what is the joy in this for you? And she's like, you know what, Drell, like, Merrick came here, and for months, he never once smiled. Like, Merrick, who's a seventh grader, he did not know how to smile. Like, he never had a reason. Why would you smile? He never had a reason to smile. And she's like, we can't wipe the smile off of his face. She's like, I, we got to teach Merrick how to smile. And I'm like, well, what did it cost you? It costed us everything. Our money, our time, our room. And, but you know what? Like, it brings so much joy to my heart when every time Merrick smiles. Because I was a channel of God's generous love to him. And so, and like, wow, how are you joyful about sacrificing your life for someone? Because it's awesome. Because it's your identity. It's how God made you. And so, um, I just like, I was sitting there like, oh, <laughs> whatever you guys are doing now. Um, and like every time Merrick comes to youth group, he's like, I'm like, what up, Merrick? And it's just like, I love hugging this kid. Um, he gives very aggressive hugs too. It's, <laughs> oh, some of these kids, they got to learn, learn how to hug. 
Um, and, the, and the second tip is to not just immerse yourself in the lives of others, but to own the mission of your local church. So if tithing, if like putting a check in that bucket and giving it to the church and it goes behind the wall and you don't even know what's going on, like if you don't feel like the money you're giving into this church is part of your mission and belonging to this church, it's going to feel very separate from your heart. Does that make sense? So you guys are individual Jesus followers in this city, and once a week you gather, or more than that, you gather, and you're all on mission. You have specific mission to your church. You have specific missions to your gifts. And you're saying, hey, guess what? If we, comp- if we compounded our resources, we could do this, this, and this. Like, you're more than the sum of your parts. How are they? Like, I don't know, two plus two equals five. That kind of thing. Like, together you can do more by sharing what you have, right? Um, and so you're saying, like, tithing to the church isn't just like, I did my Christian duty, I paid my rent, I afforded the seat I'm sitting on, which are very nice seats, padded on the bottom and the back. But you're like, I actually care about giving this money, and I want to give, and it's a delight to give because I care what the church is doing with it. I'm bought in. And then third is ask questions. Um, when people are broken and hurting, oftentimes they don't need your money, they need a listening ear, they need someone to understand um, and that requires time and intentionality, and so we can all give that, is to ask questions. And I really think by asking questions, you immerse yourself in their life. And then the second, uh, the, second the fourth one, um, is, to, is to get creative. So, get creative. So I like riding mountain bikes now. I live in central Oregon. There's always mountain bike trails. Um, and whenever a kid is like, hey, I like mountain bikes, I'm like, oh, do you? And then I get that kid and that kid like riding mountain bikes. I'm like, hey, why don't you come mountain bike with me on Saturday? I'm like, okay, sweet. So I pick them up, throw their bikes in the back. We go mountain biking. And as we're mountain biking, which I'm doing something I love and something they love, I'm like, hey, guys, how's school going? Oh, it sucks, you know, homework and this. And then I start to get into their lives. I'm like, hey, uh, Jimmy, like your bike is broken. Why don't you bring it over and we can fix it? So they come over to my house. And I'm like, oh, well, it's dinner time. I'll make you guys dinner. Why don't we fix your bike? We're sitting there. I'm teaching them how to fix bikes, talking about life. And then we go out the next Saturday and the next Saturday, and it finds out I drop them off at home. And then I realize the parents are in a rough family situation. I'm like, okay, now I know why he acts that way at youth group because of this. And then over time, you just start to build this relationship with these, with these kids. And then, like, um, you're, you're using your time and your money. Yeah, I, I paid for dinner. I paid for gas. I'm using my time and energy. But like, it doesn't feel like that because it's so ingrained in your gifts. It's ingrained in what you love. It's, in, it's ingrained in God's mission. And so here's the good news of generosity, that God has, has saved you by giving you himself and has invited you now into this new life, which looks like sharing his mission of generosity in the city, in your neighborhood, with your community, with your friends and your family, um, and to stop the rat race of the carrot chase, to trust in his goodness, and to delight in what it looks like um, to die to yourself and live a generous life in Christ. And that is good news. That is, that is you will find freedom and you will find joy. Um, and so do it, right? Let's do it. Um, let me pray for us, and then we're going to, receive communion. Um, Father, we, we know the temptations that we have of the thin ice that we stand on, and we're, we, we confess that, but even more than that, we pray that you would 
that you would make your love and your security so evident that we couldn't help but delight and trust in what it means to be unified into you. We are grateful then that you have asked us to be ambassadors for your mission, and I pray for this church, for Regen in Warren, Ohio, that you would open up uh, their eyes to see their gifts, to see their hearts, to see the needs in this city, and that we would creatively, corporately, um, joyfully stay on this mission of, of the reconciliation of all things, and that, that would produce generous, content, and joyful hearts in us. And we long for the day that you will make all things new. In your name, amen.